John 15, verse 1. So we're going to be, if you'll find that place in your Bible, John 15, 1. The night before Jesus died on the cross, he spoke to his disciples about what life was going to be like when he was no longer physically present with them. Jesus prepared his disciples. He prepared them to walk by faith. He prepared them to be faithful to him. Jesus prepared his disciples to bear fruit. Jesus gave them instructions. He gave them promises. And Jesus told them how things were going to be when he left. He told them what to expect. He actually said, you're going to have tribulation in this world. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Jesus knew how to prepare his disciples for the time that he was leaving. Later, in John, John 17, we hear Jesus praying for not only these disciples that he's talking to, but for everyone who would believe in him through their word. So what we hear in that is Jesus is actually preparing his church. Jesus is preparing us for a life of discipleship and a life lived on mission for Christ in this world. 2,000 years now, Christians have been reading John 15. John really 14, 15, and 16 as the preparation for the time when he is gone. The words of Jesus to his disciples have been passed down to us and we receive them today as for what they are as the word of the Lord. We've been considering the message that Jesus gave on the night before he died to his disciples. Again, John 14, 15, and 16, the farewell discourse. Already we've heard Jesus say these things. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to come again. We're going to be together. There's our comfort. And then he said, until then, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he said, love one another. And he said, I'm going to leave you with a helper, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is so wise, Jesus is so kind, isn't he, to give us a message of clarity and of guidance and of hope while we're living in this world until he returns. And today we're going to pick back up in this long passage, chapter 15, and we're going to hear Jesus give us another message. It's a message in an allegory of the vine and the branches. So stand with me, if you will, in honor of God's word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. This is a powerful and beautiful and compelling vision of Christ and the Christian and really a congregation, the church of Jesus Christ. Reading it stirs me to want it. I hope it does you. I want this. Reading it stirs us to pray for it. I sent you a a note on Friday. I hope you read it, the words of grace. I ask you to pray through John 15. It stirs us to want to pray. Reading this stirs us to want to put ourselves in it to find ourselves right there in this passage as the branches connected to the vine, and also to pursue it. Reading this gives us hope. Next week, we're going to hear Jesus tell us that in this world, we're going to have tribulation. It's by the goodness of this passage we just read, of the vine and the branches, fruit-bearing to the glory of God, that we're able to endure the tribulation that we are experiencing and are going to continue to experience in this world until Christ returns. It's a beautiful passage. Now in it, Jesus has brought together three things into one vine branch allegory. Three things that we're going to talk about this morning. The first one is the nature of our relationship with Christ. It's, It's a relationship defined by branches abiding in a vine. Second, Jesus brings to us the mission and the purpose for Christians and churches and congregations in this world, and it's this, bear much fruit. And third, Jesus shows us what the ultimate priority is, the the goal of everything, that my Father may be glorified, he said. So we're going to look at those three things. But first, some background. If you let your eyes go back up, we started in chapter 15, verse 1, just let your eyes go right back up to the last sentence In chapter 14, Jesus said, rise, let us go from here. Now, he's been talking, he's been teaching, started back in chapter 13, where they're having a Passover meal together. During the Passover meal, you remember, he washed the disciples' feet, he instituted the Lord's Supper, he made the prediction about Judas betraying him, as well as Peter denying him. And this is the beginning, then, of the farewell discourse and he's, uh, what we have is a chapter the way through, and then he says, arise, let us go from here. And we know where he went, because we go to chapter 18, and we see that Jesus made his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem. And while he was there, he prayed that beautiful prayer, that powerful prayer, that agonizing prayer, Father, not my will, but yours be done, as he faced the cross. And then he was arrested, the other Gospels tell us this about the prayer and the arrest. John does too. So here's the question. When Jesus said, arise, let us go, and then he keeps talking in what we have is chapter 15, did he delay? Or is he walking with his disciples through Jerusalem? Arise, let us go, but he just keeps teaching. Walking through Jerusalem when he gives the vine and the branches message. Is he still at the table where he sees a cup of wine? It reminds him of the fruit of the vine. He's already had the Lord's Supper. And he says to them, I'm the true vine, you're the branches. 
Or is he, as we said, he's up walking, he's going through Jerusalem, and he's passing by a vineyard, at, seeing it at, by moonlight. Some people have even speculated that what happened is that Jesus may have gotten up from the table, arise, let us go, but he keeps talking, he keeps telling his disciples what to expect, and he gives the vine and the branch allegory as he walks past the temple gate. Because on the temple gate, there was the symbol of the nation of Israel, the bronze vine. And that prompted the message. That's interesting because Israel, the nation of Israel, was actually called a vine in the Old Testament. Jesus is not coming up with something new here in John 15. He's actually picking up on on language and teaching from the Old Testament where the nation of Israel is a vine. God said in the Psalm 80, I brought you out of Egypt and planted you like a vine. Many other passages in the prophets about Israel being the vine. God planted his people in a promised land. He wanted his people to flourish. Why did he want them to flourish? So that they would give testimony to him. That was the whole point. That was their whole reason for being. Was to give testimony to the grace and the provision and the goodness and the salvation of God. So he planted them, he says, like a vineyard in the promised land. That they would flourish and give testimony to the rule and the care of God. That through them all the nations would come and partake of the fruit of this vine. But what's interesting about the prophecies in the Old Testament about Israel being a vine is that they most often spoke about Israel being unfaithful to their purpose. And therefore, Israel failing to really fulfill the purpose that God had given them to bring glory to him upon the earth. So it's in that context that Jesus said, verse 1, I am the true vine. Yes, he's the vine, but he said, I am the true vine. Where God's people had failed in the past, Jesus doesn't fail. I am the true vine. I will bring about salvation. I will be fruitful. I will be faithful. Many will come from me, Jesus is saying. I am the true vine. Jesus said what Israel failed to do, he will do. He will be the life source. He will be the sustaining life for branches, people in him who will bear fruit and bring glory to God on the earth. Jesus said, I am the true vine. That's the seventh I am statement in John. If you've been paying attention these months, walking through John, Jesus has been saying, I am, I am, and then he says many things. Here's the seventh one, I am the true vine. The three things that he pulls together in this passage Here they are. The first one is this. The first thing Jesus speaks of is the nature of his relationship with his followers and with his church. The point is this. Here's the point, because I'm going to say a lot. So I'm going to tell you the point up front, and I'm going to tell it to you again at the the end of this, because I'm going to say a lot. Here's the point. The point is this. Christians abide in Christ, and Christ abides in them. That's the nature of the relationship. It's an abiding relationship. But Jesus starts, verse 1. He speaks of himself as the true vine, and then he says his father is the vine dresser. His father's the gardener. The father and the son, Jesus, are in relationship to one another. God the Father planted this vine too. He planted Israel in the promised land. He planted Israel. His son Jesus on earth, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He planted 
Jesus like a vine by sending him into the world to be the Savior. And God is tending the branches on the vine. God today, right now, is tending to the church and to Christians who are connected to the vine who is Jesus Christ. It's very helpful. It's also very humbling for us to know that something is going on between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit within God himself that includes us but is really beyond us. It's not dependent upon us. There's something humbling about that, isn't there? We think everything starts with us. You know, we think maybe we're offering God a service. We're offering God a favor. We're doing God a favor. Yes, Lord, we'll, yes, we'll participate in your kingdom. Aren't you blessed, God, to have us? There's something very humbling to know that Jesus, he doesn't say, oh, you're, you're such wonderful branches. How could I do without you, precious branches? He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Something is going on. It includes us by grace. We're grateful to be a part. But we're humbled to know that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have a plan. One God, three persons have a plan. It is a divine plan. It is a Trinitarian activity. The Father sending the Son, now the Son sending the Spirit. The God, Father, Son, and Spirit is doing God's plan and we are grafted in by grace. We need to get on God's agenda. We're going to talk about prayer. He's going to talk about prayer in just a moment. And it baffles us, doesn't it? He says, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. Well, when's the last time that happened to you? But when we see that what, what Jesus is talking about in prayer here, he's saying when you're, he's talking about the kind of prayer that gets on his agenda, that gets on the, the agenda of the vine dresser, God the Father, who's tending to this garden. It's his will, it's his way. Jesus starts that way. Verse two, he speaks of the branches. Now we are brought into the picture where the branches of the vine. But if you'll notice in verse 2, there are two kinds of branches, which is very interesting. It can be confusing. There are two kinds of branches that are connected to this vine in verse 2. The first kind are branches that don't bear fruit. You see it? Branches that do not bear fruit and so are taken away. The second kind of branch is, are branches that do bear fruit, and so they get pruned so that they will bear more fruit. Now, what is up with that? They're in the vine. How can they, how can they not bear fruit? How can they be two different branches? They're in the vine. To say that the branches are in the vine at this point does not mean that these people are actually born again. It does not mean that they are, that they are truly converted. The first kind of branch, he says, does not bear fruit and is therefore taken away. These are clearly not truly converted people to Christ, truly born again Christ. They are not Christians. The second kind, the ones that do bear fruit, he prunes that they might bear more fruit. These are clearly Christians. They're God's children. They're born again. They're attached to Christ. The branches in the vine we should understand it this way, all of them, both kinds are this. These are people who are around Christ. They are around the gospel. They've heard it. These are people who may even initially, they might initially and outwardly respond and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to identify with Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. There's the, there's the initial hearing and maybe even the initial response. 
But it isn't until there is the determination of fruit or no fruit that these people are actually distinguishable as genuine believers or not. This is the way John speaks about people all through his gospel. It's not the first time we've heard this. John chapter 6, very interesting passage. There are a big group of people in John chapter 6 who are called disciples. Now remember something, okay? The word disciple can be used in a context of Christ or it can be just be used in a human-to-human context. It's, somebody, it's a follower, somebody who's learning from somebody. There, there's a large group of people in John chapter 6 and they're all called disciples. But over time, they, they initially heard the word, they heard Jesus and they saw his signs and they actually, some of them actually started traveling around with him. But over time, they came to the place where Jesus' words, you remember what John, how John 6 said it? Jesus' words were hard. They were too hard. They were too offensive. They were too radical for some people in Jesus' day. And so John 6 actually says, when they heard these hard sayings, they turned away. Well, that means that they were initially respondents. They initially heard the gospel. They were around Christ. They were around Christ's people. But they were never truly converted to Christ. They're the kind that Jesus is talking about here, the branches in the vine that don't bear fruit and don't remain. But you'll remember in John 6, some walked away, but Peter and the disciples stayed. And Jesus said, are you going to go away too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. He stayed. So Peter, in that instance, and the other disciples are showing themselves to be the branches that are going to bear fruit. There's another example of this. We saw it in John 13. Judas had been with Jesus three years. Judas had heard the gospel. He initially aligned with Christ's people. He he initially said, I'm going to be one of the followers of Jesus. But we know what happened. There came a point where the words of Jesus were too hard for him. The way of Jesus was too radical for him. He was looking for another way. It It didn't fit with his agenda. So we know he gave himself over to evil. He turned away from Christ. He went out into the night and he betrayed him. He's that first kind of uh, of branch, not bearing fruit, being taken away. But then there was Peter. You remember Peter, what he did. Jesus predicts that he will deny him. And we'll see later, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, that Peter, in fact, in his weakness, denied knowing Christ. But he repented. He turned in sorrow, and he returned to Christ. So he showed himself to be the branch that that abides in Christ. You see, there's two kinds of people, two kinds of branches in the vine, two kinds of people around Christ in relation to him. The first one, those who hear and don't submit. They don't have a heart of faith. They don't bear fruit. They're taken away. Verse 6, they die. They wither. They die. They're burned in the fire. John, the same man who wrote this, wrote again in a letter called First John. We call it First John. It's later in the New Testament. And he's not speaking allegorically there. He's not quoting Jesus in the, in the vine branch allegory. In First in John, chapter 2, he's, John is speaking very straightforwardly. 
And this is what he says. He's talking about people who are in the church, but they love the world. And they love the things of the world. They are among the believers, but they're not really believers, and so they leave. And this is the way John put it in 1 John. He said, they went out from us, but were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. See, there they are. That's the first kind of branch that Jesus is talking about. The people who are around him, but don't remain. They don't bear fruit, and they are cut off. Here's a reality to consider. It's worth considering. A person, even today, can be in church, can be around the gospel, can be in a family of believers, can be in friendships of believers, and not be converted, converted to Jesus Christ in the heart. And so the question is natural, naturally comes to us then, do we believe? Now the point, I'm going to say this very directly and very conversationally because I want to say it. The, the point is not that you would walk away discouraged or in despair. Language like what I'm using right now has, has sometimes been used in the church to get people to doubt that they're Christians so that they'll make a second or third or fifteenth kind of commitment just to make doubly sure. That is not what we're doing here. It's not what's happening. The point is not to discourage people or to put them in despair when there need not be despair. The point is to simply ask the question, have we turned to Jesus Christ? Have you turned to Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you submitted your whole self to Jesus Christ? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Are you a believer? This first kind of branch moves us to ask that question. And if you're not, do so today. Repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ. Enter into the life of Christ. And in the second kind of branch, these are the people who hear and they believe and they submit in heart to Christ. This is the nature of the relationship of a Christian to Christ. Verse 2, they're branches. They've heard the gospel differently. Verse 3, they're already clean. It says you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. They're born again because Christ has given the word and they have believed the word about him being the way, the truth, and the life, about being the door into God. They've heard Jesus say, we've heard Jesus say he's the good shepherd. We heard John the Baptist say about Jesus, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We heard Jesus himself saying, Come and follow me. See, these people who are, who are the branches, who remain in Christ, they receive Jesus, they believe in Jesus, they walk in him, they, they remain. Jesus uses the word in verse 4, they abide, they remain in Christ and in his love. We're called to remain. He uses the word abide, continue in. This is all by grace. By His grace, which is the basis of our relationship with Jesus Christ, from beginning to end, the Christian consciously, consciously remains in relationship with Jesus Christ. The Christian is consciously relating to Jesus by faith. The Christian is consciously listening to the Word. Jesus said, if, my, if you abide in me and my Word abides in you, you're my disciples. 
consciously listening to the Word and receiving the Word and submitting to the Word and obeying the Word. It is believing and it is to believe and to continue believing. It is to be, have faith and to remain in faith. This is the nature of the Christian's relationship with Christ. Summed up in this word, abide, continue, remain. Again, I want to be in, as encouraging as I can, but it, it is one of the most grievous things to see someone, to see a person who, is, who has this initial coming to Christ, initial identification with Christ, but then walks away. Why are so many people walking away? Why today are so many people walking away? And... and some are walking away without walking away. It's, a, it's an internal walk away. I'm going to stay. I'm going to be in and around. It's a social help to me, and it helps, helps me along the way. But internally, I've walked away. Why are so many people walking away from Christ? Why is there so much passive neglect? This neglect. Why are so many people redefining and removing the hard sayings of Jesus. John 6, it's, it's too hard. It's not. He's with us. He abides in us. We abide in Him. We can't be subtle about this. We must say it to ourselves. Don't walk away. Don't passively neglect. Don't redefine this. Embrace Christ for who He is. And every word that He has said as it is, we do not take a break from our faith. We do not take a break from church. We do not take a break from Christ. If we're in by grace, we cling by faith. This is the Christian. It's the first thing Jesus said. Second one, Jesus said, that the Christian abiding him will bear fruit. This is our mission and this is our purpose. He wants us to bear fruit. Every branch in me, verse two, that bears fruit, he takes away that it, he prunes it, I'm sorry. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Why does God prune? Why is God at work in our lives? Why does God do that, that hard work of cutting things away from us to stimulate more growth into Christ-likeness? Why does He do that? Because He wants to produce something from our lives. And He wants to see it. He wants, he wants the, the life of Jesus Christ to produce goodness and holiness and effectiveness in service and actual Christ-likeness. God is interested in fruit in the life of the Christian and from his church and from congregations. Fruit is any evidence, every evidence of the life of Christ in us. It's the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. When Christ lives in us, his Spirit lives in us, and we are in Christ, abiding in him, the Spirit of God is producing the fruit in our lives. The first one is love. Love. The Holy Spirit, God, is working to produce love. Have you, have you had to choose to love somebody this week? I have. Did you pray about that? I did. Are you praying about it today? 
You should be. Well, I don't want to pray about love. That means God will know that I don't love somebody. You think God doesn't know you don't love somebody? You're never informing God about anything. Lord, help me to love. Fill me with the Spirit. Let me abide in Christ. Let me abide in His love. Look at this. Look at verse eight, 9. Abide in my love. I've loved you. Abide in my love. Father, let me sense and draw and drink deep from the love of Christ for me so I'll love people. It's fruit and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These things still stand, folks. This is for today. You know, it's not like you can say, oh, that, those, yeah, those are the fruits of the first century church. We've, we don't, the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way anymore. No, He does. Of course He does. The fruit, God's interested in bearing fruit from our lives. The fruit is conforming to the image of Christ, Romans 8, 29. You know what's interesting? All of the saving activity of God laid out in Romans 8. Foreknew, predestined, called, all that saving activity. Do you know what it says it's for? To be conformed to the image of His Son, that His Son Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know what God has in mind? He has in mind the Lord Jesus Christ leading the way and all of us behind being conformed to His image, looking more and more like Him all the way to glory. That's fruit. And it's the fruit of disciple-making. John 17, Jesus says, I'm, Father, I've taken care of these 11. One left. One was a branch that was cut off. The other 11 are here. I've taken care of them, and I'm praying for everybody who will believe through their word. And folks, that's you and me sitting in this room today 2,000 years later. That's fruit. And God wants to see that kind of fruit from this congregation. I'm not, we need, to, we need to be very careful about this, okay? We're, we're, not, we're not talking about being a congregation that just, you know, counts numbers or looks, looks the best or any of that. We're talking about fruit, real, life change. That's what we want. Let's give our lives to this. Let's trust God for this. Let's pray for this. Let's give our energies for this. This is fruit. Jesus gave the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all the nations. Aren't we hoping and praying that somewhere in some other nation somebody's walking with Jesus because there's some little bit of evidence of fruit in the life of Jesus that came through us somehow through somebody? I mean, that's a mystery. We'll figure it out. The Lord will reveal it someday. But isn't that what we want? God's working to produce this kind of fruit. It's called discipline. Hebrews 12. Oh, what a beautiful and hard passage. He disciplines us because He loves us. God loves us. We're His children. And you don't, you don't show children love by spoiling them. You just don't. You show children love by disciplining them in the, proper, in the proper and loving and caring and helpful way, but you discipline them. And that's what God does. He disciplines us. Hebrews 12. It says the reason that God disciplines us as children because He wants us to share in holiness. Whose holiness? Christ's. He wants us to look like Christ. I'm trusting I'm trusting that somehow what I'm experiencing today, last week, last year, the last three years, the last 30 years, I'm trusting that somehow God is using this as discipline in a good way 
to lead me and you to share in holiness. Because he says when that happens, Hebrews 12, it results in the peaceful fruit, there's the word, of righteousness. This is what God's aiming at. It's a tender care of the Father's work in the life of the Christian in the church is for the purpose of bearing fruit. He's tending to us as we abide in the vine of His Son, Jesus. Fruit can only come as we abide in Christ. It only comes through sharing the life of Christ. We call this union with Christ. I close my eyes sometimes. I did again this week. I close my eyes and I try to imagine what this is like. What is it like to share the life of Christ? You know, you know, I use like an illustration a year around here. I don't have a lot of illustrations, but it's because they don't, to me, they just always fall flat. And so that was a warning. This one's going to fall flat. <laughs> but I was trying to imagine, what is this like? And I, re- I remember just the other day, I, I was driving in a parking lot, and there were all these empty parking spaces. And when I got to one, I was, you know, you're about to turn in, you look, you say, oh, that's for that electric vehicle. And I'm thinking, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we could just plug our lives in like that and juice up and move on? It doesn't work that way for us as as humans in Christ. We don't just, I mean, I know you'd like one. You'd like a little cord into Jesus. You're good to go. No thought. It doesn't work that way. We have to abide and share in his life in prayer it's, it's ongoing, it's conversation, it's talking, it's wrestling, it's the word, it's conformity, it's repentance, it's faith. It's, you see, it's not just a cord, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a relationship. <laughs> and those are always challenging. It's a relationship with Christ that's abiding and drawing from his life by faith in him, believing every promise. It's, it, fruit is the result of Abiding, and it's the proof of our discipleship, he says in verse 8. You will prove that you're my disciples when you bear much fruit. And we say, well, what's the point in proving? The point in proving is not to get a badge. It's not about self-righteousness. It's not about being able to brag. The, the point of proving is one thing. To bring glory to God and that other people would be brought to faith. Fruit bearing is essential to our mission. There's the part of the mission here. And one more thing about this fruit bearing, and I'll finish the final thought, is this. This is why God answers our prayers. Verse 7 is an intriguing verse. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That is a head scratcher. Because no doubt you have asked and you don't think you have received and you then question the promise. It's a bold promise. I do not have all the answers to this promise. I do believe it, but I don't know that I can explain it except to say that I see in here, we see in here, this is partnering with God kind of praying. It is partnering with God kind of praying. It is not money in, drink out. It's partnering with God kind of praying. It, it, it probably looks something like this, uh, that we abide so deeply in Christ and in Christ's words that we are so deeply transformed by Christ and Christ's words through abiding 
that we ask only for the things that will glorify God. That we come to the place of asking for the things that honor Christ. That by abiding in Christ, we're asking for the things that the Spirit prompts us to ask. That by being transformed by Christ abiding in us and we abiding in Him, that we ask for the things that, advances, that, that advance Christ's mission, that are spiritually good for people, that are all about fruit-bearing. When we're praying those kinds of prayers, the promise is that God will answer our prayer. He will respond and, an, and answer our prayers. We might not see how He does it. It, we might, it might not be answered the full way even while we're alive. But he promises to answer the prayers of the people who are abiding in Christ to this extent and asking for these kinds of prayers. It's partner prayer. A lot of mystery remains, but there's enough here to set us praying. Consecrating ourselves for the purpose of prayer. The Apostle Peter said, be sober-minded for the purpose of prayer. In other words, keep your mind rooted in Christ, focused on Christ, so you will be able to pray. Because God intends to answer those prayers. This is partner prayer with God to bear fruit. So he's defined our relationship abiding. He's given us our purpose, go bear fruit. And then finally, finally he showed us the ultimate priority. And the ultimate priority is the glory of God. He gives a little tag I'll get to, but the ultimate priority is the glory of God. Verse 8, he says, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Our goal, our mission as Christians, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when Christ enters into our lives, everything changes. Everything changes. You know that, don't you? When, when our lives enter into Christ, when we receive Jesus Christ into our lives as our Savior and our Lord and we become a Christian, everything changes. No longer is it, I am a Christian so Christ will do for me. Now it is, I have been redeemed by His grace so my life will be lived unto His glory. That becomes the sole driving motivation of the Christian. The ultimate priority is that the Father would be glorified in us through abiding in His Son, bearing fruit that all will know that we're His disciples. But, but John tags something on there, lest, lest you think, oh man, that where, don't I get anything out of this? Verse 11, these things I have spoken, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. These things I've spoken. What? What things? I'm the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. Be a branch that abides. Bear much fruit. Be a partner in, in this prayer. Glorify my father. And this will be your joy. This will be your joy. At the end of reading this, at the end of a sermon, at the end of my sermon prep, hearing these words, we're stirred to want it. We're stirred to want this. If you're struggling with that and you say, I'm not stirred to want it, then just tell him you're not stirred to want it. Again, you're not informing him. He already knows. Just ask him, God, make me want it. Lead me to want it. We're stirred to want this. We're moved to repent and to believe. We're moved to pray 
and to pursue. What a vision of the Christian life this is. So compelling. It's so compelling. I put it before you today and pray the Holy Spirit just compels you to want this vision of the Christian life. It's such a vision of a congregation. We put it before ourselves today as a congregation, praying that the Holy Spirit would energize us to, to want this, to represent this local congregation for His glory. Father, this is our prayer that you would do this today.